The following is a message by Pastor Caleb Bunch of Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Go ahead and open up your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 2. Oftentimes, around Christmas, when we have a Christmas Eve or Eve Eve service, we will focus on a passage about the birth of Jesus specifically. But what I would like to focus on this evening is actually what happened directly after the birth of Jesus. So if you are in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted. Because they are no more. Let's pray. Father, I pray that tonight, as we think carefully about the very early days of Jesus' life, that you would help us to come to this story with fresh eyes, 
that we would be able to hear from your word by your Holy Spirit. Give us a renewed passion that we might delight in learning about what happened in the life of Christ. Lord, he is our savior. He is our king, and we desire to know his biography. So help us tonight as we come humbly before your word to understand more fully the things we don't already know. And Lord, I pray for those who already know everything that I will say this evening, that you will give us a renewed joy, delighting in the fact that you have shown your love to us by sending Jesus, that he became a man like us so that we might become godly. Lord, I pray that tonight as we come to your word, you would open those eyes in the room that don't know the gospel to understand it that you would give ears to hear. And for those of us who are in Christ, that you would give us a joy in Christ that is unmeasurable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In this part of the Christmas story, we see three responses to Christ. We see three responses to what happens when Jesus comes into the life of an individual. They are the same three responses that have existed in every human heart ever since the beginning of creation. These are the ways that we approach God. The most important question that you will ever answer is this. What will you do with Jesus Christ? Here are the three responses we see in our passage today. You will either ignore him or you will abhor him, or you will adore him. Let's first consider what it looks like to ignore Christ. In Matthew chapter 2, there are some amazing things taking place. Exhibit A, you have three wise men, as the stories tell you, we don't really know how many there were, come traveling to Israel to find the newborn king. Who are these guys? Who are these men who traveled a long distance to arrive at this location. Ultimately, we don't know much about them, but they were probably from Babylon. Well, now, why do I say that? Why don't I say they were from farther, like India or China? I guess I say this because Jerome and Origen and Augustine and a lot of the early church fathers all believed they were from Babylon. So I tend to think that's probably where they were from, but ultimately, we don't know. For those who have been here during the summers... You'll notice something really interesting. As we've been preaching through the book of Genesis, every single time somebody is sent away from the presence of the Lord, they are sent in a particular direction that the author of Genesis is clear to point out. They are sent in the direction east. And now we see that God is bringing some people from the east to the west, which is what we always see taking place when God is bringing someone back into the presence of the Lord early on in the Bible. We also see when the people were exiled. Where were they exiled to? They were exiled to Babylon. And then after 70 years, the Lord returned them west. And now, with the dawning of redeeming grace, God sovereignly draws this handful of people into the presence of the Lord himself to worship him. Now, contrary to the traditional song, we don't know if there were really three wise men. All we actually know is that there was at least two of them because it's used in a plural way. It could have been a couple. It could have been a caravan of 20 or more for all we know. However, they're often depicted as a set of three because they brought with them three gifts. These men were not kings, as we sing, we three kings. These were wise men. Literally, they were magi. This word, it has roots in being a magician. Same root word. They were wealthy stargazers. And one of my friends recently preached a sermon about them. He called them Gentile palm readers. 
They were probably a group of men who were in a similar position to what we see Daniel doing in the Old Testament. Daniel was a man who had been called as a responsible individual to give insight to the king. He was to watch the sky and give counsel to the pagan ruler. Now, we know that Daniel didn't use divination. He didn't use astrology. Instead, he heard from the the Lord himself. But what I want you to see from this is that these were not Jews. They had no allegiance to Israel. And yet, when a star arose, they followed it all the way to Jerusalem, which now we have exhibit B, the star, which What is this star? Is it an actual star? Is it a comet? Is it something else altogether? Something appeared in the sky. Now, in the ancient world, people often associated cosmic events with geopolitical events. This was very normal. It was common for people to see unusual things like comets or eclipses, and they will declare that is either a good or a bad omen for the king of our land. And oftentimes, when we see this taking place, in fact, basically, whenever this happened, this was considered foolishness to the people of Israel. That is not the way we know the future. God alone knows the future. Yet, when they see this taking place, that is why they say in verse 2, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. We saw his star. We saw the new king's star. And we saw it when it rose. Therefore, we have come to worship him. Comets and planetary movements were commonly thought to indicate the dawning of a new king or of a new dynasty. And generally speaking, this was all nothing but absurd and meaningless astrological idiocy. However... God, in his infinite love and mercy, spoke to these sky watchers using the language that they actually understood. Somehow, he divinely led them from somewhere in the east, and he brought them to Jerusalem. But let's examine this star a little bit more carefully. Not only did it lead them in the general direction of where they would find the Messiah, it led them right to Jerusalem, right to the place where they should go. And If this star was not already incredible enough as a picture of the providence and sovereignty of God, then look back again at verses 9 through 10. Look at what it says about this star. It says, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly, with great joy. What kind of star is that? How does this work? It literally says that this star traveled in front of them. And then it says that this body in the heavens that was traveling, which if it's at a distance, must have been a significant pace, stopped and rested over the place where Jesus was. That is not like any star that you and I will ever see in the, in the night sky. Somehow this star would move and stop and rest to point them to Christ. Also, if this was a normal star and it was in the sky, how would it point you to a specific house? I don't understand. That does not describe anything natural. This is absolutely an extraordinary astrological phenomenon. This is not normal. So that is exhibit B, amazing things taking place in Bethlehem. But I want you to see something even more unbelievable than this, exhibit C. 
Listen again to what happened here when the wise men showed up in Jerusalem. Verses 3 through 6. When Herod, the king, heard this, when he heard this news, there's a new king who's born. He should rejoice knowing it's the Messiah. But instead, what happened? He was troubled. Now, maybe that makes sense. He's the king and he doesn't want to be usurped. But what else does it say? And all of Jerusalem with him. They're not rejoicing. No, they are troubled by this news. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Do you see what I mean here about this being absolutely amazing, incredible, unbelievable? It's shocking. It is stunning. King Herod called together all of the chief priests and scribes. It seems that all Jerusalem knows about this event. They are hearing about this news of what the star means. A new king is born. And when Herod hears that news, he assumes it must be the Christ. I guess it's probably likely everyone else assumed the same thing. This was a large group of people. It was most, especially the chief priests and scribes, the most theological knowledgeable people alive in the city of Jerusalem gathered to take notice of what was taking place. And Herod, who knew this was the Christ, didn't know anything about the Bible, asked them, what does the Bible say about this man who was to be born? Where is he going to come? I want you to see this is incredible. These people knew the prophecies about the Messiah And they happen to know exactly where to send them. But this is where things become absurd. None of them bothered to go with the wise men. Nobody budged an inch in the direction of the Messiah. They don't seem to care that Jesus has been born. Colin Nichols speaks about this in his book, The Great Christ Comet. He says, They evidently despised the report, and perhaps those that brought it. And so, they remained in Jerusalem. They were content with the same status quo, and they did not crave the promised salvation of God. They're not hungry for God. They're not desirous for the prophecies to be fulfilled. They don't really want a Messiah. They just want what they've already got. This is exactly what happened in Bethlehem roughly two years earlier, the night that Jesus was born. Let's revisit that for a moment. There was this amazing light that filled the night sky that night as well. You remember the angels, a multitude of them, filled the sky as a heavenly host, and they sang to the shepherds. And what do we see taking place immediately after this? The shepherds go and they find the newborn king, and then following that, they share that with the entire community. Listen to the words of Luke chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. And when they saw it... What had they seen? It says they had seen Jesus in the manger. When they had seen it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They made known to the community, Jesus is born. A Messiah has come. God has sent the Christ. So they are telling everyone what has taken place. Now, we don't know everyone that they told, but if you had just seen a sky full of angels and you had just visited the Christ child, wouldn't you go knocking on every single door? Yet this little town of Bethlehem, how did they respond? Verse 18. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. What does that mean? 
What does it mean that they wondered at what the, sh- the shepherds told them? Well, it's important for us to see how Luke uses words. In his gospel, he has a pattern of speech that he is consistently going to use. And one of the ways that he speaks is to give a statement, and then he will contrast it with another statement. I want you to see how he contrasts their response to the response of Mary and the shepherds. He says in verse 19, but, or in other words, in contrast to these men, but this is how they responded. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. That is the opposite of what the people did. And the shepherds, what did they do? They returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and all they had seen as it had been told to them. So the townsfolk of Bethlehem, they seemed to be doing the exact opposite of what these men were doing. They were wandering, but they were not wandering in such a way that they were treasuring these truths. They are not storing them up in their heart. They are not glorifying God. They are not praising Him. Their response was pathetic. Their response was basically to say, that's interesting. Oh well, I better get ready for the celebration next week. They're not glorifying Jesus in any way. In fact, as far as we can tell, none of them even bothered to go see him. There is this satanic apathy that is ruling over the hearts of these people we see in this story. The God who crafted the universe humbled himself to be born in a backwater village in the middle of nowhere to a family that was of low status, and he was even so low that he was laid in a feeding trough. God made himself low to come to us, and their response was, meh, nothing to see here. This was not just the way the people of Israel responded to Jesus. This is the tragic reality of our world right now. Millions of people on this very island, people are going to hear and respond the same exact way. People are more likely to respond to a 5% off sale at Target than they are when you tell them that Jesus has come. The Messiah is here. You need a savior and he has come to save you. Perhaps what I'm describing is you. Perhaps you know the stories about Jesus, you've heard about the virgin birth, you've heard about the cross, you've heard about the resurrection, but you are woefully unmoved. You just don't care. You don't really believe that God is going to judge you. You don't really believe the Bible when it says that you are unworthy of heaven. And if that's you, I plead with you tonight. I plead with you to see Christ, to look to Jesus, to see this God of heaven who came to earth, the creator who became the creation. This was the first step that he took in redeeming rebels like you and me to bring us back to his family, to reconcile us with the father. Eventually, Jesus would go to the cross and he would die to redeem those like you and I who had run from God. Ignoring cancer is a bad idea. Ignoring cancer does not make it go away. Ignoring sin and your sin problem and your separation from God is a bad idea. Ignoring it will not make it go away. Ignoring the IRS letters will not make you right with the U.S. government. It will not correct that broken relationship. There has to be action that is taken. And I am telling you that that action has been taken by Christ. All we do is believe Do you think that you're in a dangerous position, ignoring him? 
The scriptures teach that there are only two places that we can go after death. There is heaven, where we will be with Christ joyfully for all eternity, and there is hell, where we will be separated from his love and encountering nothing but his wrath forever. God is not appeased with casual Christian practices like attending a Christmas Eve Eve service. You're not saved by knowing Bible stories. You are not saved by being generous. You are not saved by good works. You are not saved by your best efforts. In fact, all of those things are insulting to God when you think that they buy his favor. But if you see the majestic holiness of God, if you understand his purity, if you understand his sinless righteousness, then you will understand that you are desperately in need of grace. When you compare yourself to other people, you look really good. When you compare yourself to Christ, you look rightly before God. You see exactly who you are. Then you understand your need for grace. I pray that God will reveal your desperate state to you so that you will know that you need him and no longer act like the people of Bethlehem and of Jerusalem who just ignored him. But there's another type of response that we see from these verses. There are not only those who will ignore him, there are some who will abhor him. This group will hate him. They will loathe him. They will detest him. Look again at verse 7 and following. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now drop down to see the result of what happens again in verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to worship him. No, to destroy him, literally to Kill him. He is coming for your baby. He is coming to wipe the Messiah off the face of the earth. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there. When? Until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I will call. I called my son. Herod knows. He knows that Jesus is a threat to him. He doesn't want anyone else to be the top dog. He was violently committed to preserving his authority. He had already killed many people in his tenure as the king. In fact, he had already killed one of his ten wives, and he had killed two of his own children, and he had killed over 300 soldiers that he had taken before a court and said, these people might try to take my throne. He was a man of great bloodshed. So what is this? Just a bunch of insignificant kids. It'd be better for all of them to die than for me to lose my throne. And now there were people showing up from other countries desirous to worship this king. Oh, no, 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 I can't have that. Herod should have gone to worship Jesus. He should have heard the news from them and said, yes, I want to worship him. I want to bow down at his feet. But he was so committed to living how he wanted and rejecting the authority of God that he was willing to kill the Christ child and every other child that might get in his way. This should immediately call back to the time of the Israelites being in, in slavery in Egypt. Herod had taken the role of Pharaoh in that story. 
he was standing against God and against his anointed deliverer. God sent a deliverer to set his people free from sin and death, and Herod determined the best possible outcome was to kill everyone necessary to ensure that that plan of God failed. Just like Pharaoh, he tried to outmaneuver God. You can't win at chess with God. God wins every time. He was intent on destroying the child. How? Get this. Understand the sickness of the mind of Herod. He took God's own words, the prophecy from the Old Testament, and tried to use it as a weapon against the Messiah. And yet he failed to undermine God's plan. Once again, there are many people like this in the world. There are many people who abhor Christ today. The Bible refers to such people as God-haters. Now, it's possible, though less likely, that some such people are here with us tonight. And if if that's you, welcome. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm thankful that you are here. But people like this hate the idea of God, and they hate the idea of Christ because they hate the idea that God actually controls everything, that God is sovereign, and that God has authority over them. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and they mock God, and they mock everyone who follows him. But please hear this. There is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, even those who ignore Christ and those who abhor him. A day is coming when every single person will have to stand and take note. This truly is the king of the universe. At that day, no one will be able to ignore him. And if there is hatred towards Christ, it will become more clear as they are forced to bow the knee to Christ, even though inwardly they have always rejected him. Now, if you don't know Jesus, please know that I'm not attacking you. I'm not telling you those things because I don't like you. I'm telling those things to you because I want to help you. It is with utmost compassion that I tell you that it is better to bow your knee in this life than it is to bow it at the judgment. It is better to receive Christ now as your friend than to only admit that he is king when your army is defeated. Trust me, it is better to be broken in spirit than it is to be broken by the judgment. Which leads us now to our final point, the last response that we see possible. It's option number three, the only good option. Oh, come let us adore him. These wise men arrive in Jerusalem saying that they have come to worship the newborn king. Why are they here? To worship the king. This indicates that they believe Jesus is God. Verse 10 through 11 tells us, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. How did these men know to worship Jesus? Why were their gifts so interestingly in line with what would take place in his life how were they so in line with the prophecies from isaiah now i admit that this is somewhat speculative but i am going to bring it forward because it is beautiful to consider the possibility if these wise men truly were from babylon then it would have to stand to reason that they would have known the collection of the libraries of babylon 
which because of the fact the Israelite people had lived there for 70 years, they had brought the Old Testament scriptures to the libraries of Babylon and included with those Old Testament scriptures would have been the books of Numbers and Isaiah, although it wouldn't contain particular scriptures like Amos that were written after that collection would have been taken there. But people, I think we need to remember Books right now are super cheap. I read an article earlier this year. It was a great article. It said books should cost more than burritos. And it's a great article explaining the the amazing fact that somebody could put a year or two or three years of their life studying something and writing it into a book and getting it printed and having a publisher go through all of the effort and putting tons of money into getting this book finished and then you can buy it for $7.99 or $4.99 if you buy the Kindle edition. It is super easy to get literature from an author to you today. But back in the ancient world, books were very rare. And you only collected and kept things that were really valuable. So I want you to understand that these things were not things that would have been thrown away. And they were things that were often revered. Our culture is essentially different in the modern world than every historical culture that has ever existed in this way. Basically, every historical culture we know about has always revered the ancient and held the new things that exist with suspicion. But now we have reversed that trend, and we basically apostatize from those things that are ancient or old, and we think little of them, whether it's a style or a person, and we think, well, the new things must be better. The new trend is that you must be younger every day. You have to look for the new gizmos. And every time that we look at our modern culture, we idolize the new and we think little of the old. That's not how the people of the time of Christ were. So let's say these people do have these Old Testament books in their libraries. It makes sense that if they read Numbers 24, no doubt this group of stargazers who were interested in prophecies about the future would have taken note of a passage like Numbers chapter 24, verses 17 through 19, when, which in this case there's a Mesopotamian prophet, this diviner named Balaam, who foretold the rising of a distant future king that would be accompanied by the rising of a distant future star. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This means that they would have had understood what it was saying when it was speaking about the fact that there is a star coming, saying there is a new king. They would have seen this is the Messiah promised from the Old Testament. This means that if they had the book of Isaiah, which spoke about the death of this Messiah for the nation, that is probably why they brought frankincense and myrrh. Now, we can't know that they had this information for certain, but scholars surmise that they probably knew these prophecies, and that's how they knew to come and worship him. But regardless, let's say that everything I've said for the last four minutes is not true, and it's superfluous, and it's unimportant information. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that the scholars get this one wrong. Even if that is the case, and all they knew about the Christ is what they had learned from the night sky, then please understand this. The result was the same. They heard about the Messiah and their response was to worship him. And that is precisely what you and I are called to do. We are to come to Jesus, laying down our earthly treasure and declaring that he is worthy of everything. That it is better to give him everything that we have and to bow at his feet and adore him. He is the Christ. What does this mean? Oh, come let us adore him, Christ, 
the Messiah, the one who has come to redeem his people, Christ, the Lord. What does the Lord mean? The Lord is the most infuriating term to most people when they think about Christ. Why? Because the word Lord is the Greek word kurios, which means the absolute master. That's where we get the word Caesar. That's where we get the word Kaiser. It is the word for absolute authoritarian rule. And it's saying that he is the one who has that control and authority over your life. The people of the Roman Empire, what were they required to say? Caesar is Lord. It was not only considered a form of being a Roman citizen and being a good citizen, it was also considered a form of worship and adoration. And we are called to say, no, 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 it's not Caesar who is Lord. It is Christ the Lord. So what has been your response to the birth of Christ? Sad but true, Christmas is so difficult to get people to actually think about the truth, the true meaning of Christmas. It is so hard to set our attention on the one who came to be born in Bethlehem. We hear songs about it. There are all sorts of things that have distorted it. We've got the Santa Claus mythos. We've got the reindeer. We've got all sorts of things. But we miss the true purpose of what this holiday was supposed to be about. It is to fix our attention on the one who came to save, Christ the Lord. And oftentimes, the way that we ignore Christ or the way that we abhor him is to reject anything to do with him and fill up our Christmas season with everything else, presents and trees and Christmas movies, those things are great. But if they distort your picture or if they obscure your view of Jesus, then you're missing the point. Oh, come, adore him. Allow me to close with a few verses from one of the lesser known songs from the book of Revelation. It's a song that heaven sings about Jesus. It's a song that reveals to us that those people who adore Christ will adore him forever. And those people who are, are those angels who are currently in heaven, what are they doing right now? They are already adoring him. Let's hear these words. Revelation chapter 7, verse 3 and 4. They sing, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O God, and who will not glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. This is the Christ. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the truth of the scripture. I thank you that you have told us about these early days of Jesus on earth. I pray, God, that the people in this room who have lived their life in such a way that they have ignored you, that you would break their heart and show them the gospel. God, I pray that even if they think they have adored you, but it has just been a perfunctory act of just going through the motions of religiosity, God, I pray that you would show them that God is not interested in such things, that you would show them their need to repent and believe. I pray that you would show them your grace and your phenomenal mercy. And God, for those who are your enemies, those who abhor you, Lord, I thank you that people like that can be saved. I thank you that Saul of Tarsus, who hated you, who breathed out murderous threats against you, who was intent on, just like Herod, wiping out the message of the good news of Christ. Yet, Lord, you revealed yourself to him. 
God, I pray that you would do the same exact thing tonight for those who abhor you, whether they are in this room or they are going to be at our dinner tables tomorrow night. Help us to proclaim the gospel to those who hate you so that they might see the truth of Christ and trust in him. And Lord, finally, I pray for those of us in the room who know you. I pray that every day of our life would be like this time where the kings bowed themselves before you, where they got down on their knees and onto their faces and they gave of their treasure and said, it's all for you. God, I pray that we would see our lives like that, that we would adore you in such a way that we would give everything for you. Lord, please help us to respond to your love for us by having much love for you and for your son. In Christ's name we pray, amen.